refill your sake and welcome to Cinema Bushido. <laughs> uh, tonight we are talking about um, an awesome movie, um, number 20 in a series of 26 movies. It is Zadoichi meets Yojimbo. Um, very interesting uh, in that um, it's a different take um, from the other 20 films. Uh, it came at a different time uh, when um, when Shintaro Katsu uh, had started his own production company. And I believe, if, if, I, if the history is right on this, this would be uh, the, one of the first Sadoichi films to also kind of have a U.S. Uh, opening in select theaters. And uh, very appropriately, it had Toshiro Mifune in it, and that's what brought the American audience into it. And it's going to explain some of what we talk about as we go on. But first, before we get going, I, uh, I don't want to skip what we are drinking. Um, I am started out early with some sake, so uh, forgive me if I uh, go astray. Um, Leroy, what are you having today? I am drinking Rebel Reserve with a uh, Peroni back today. Oh, very nice. And we have Stephen here, uh, our unofficial third co-host. Uh, we get him in here whenever we can. Stephen, Hello. it's evening for you. What are you having this evening? I, I thought I'd experiment with sake myself. Uh, Brilliant. Yes, because I always feel a bit left out. You guys are all drinking sake, and, and we're doing these great Japanese movies. So I, I, I don't know anything about sake, but it's called uh, Doragon Sake, and it's it's nice. I'm enjoying it. Do you know what style it is? Uh, no. <laughs> does, it say, does it say? No, that's all right. I was just curious. So what we've done, Stephen, you and I, we just, um, we just pretty much trumped Leroy. Now, Leroy's having whiskey, which is really hard to beat. But last yeah. time we did uh, a samurai film... Lee and I were having sake while you had whiskey, and you felt left out. So this time, tables have turned. I, I would I would posit that there, whiskey clearly slowed my mind. I, I mean, uh, sake clearly slowed my mind. I couldn't even... By the end, I was, like, leaning against my kitchen table, like, calling Yojimbo Chimp. Yeah, you, mean, were, was, you were calling Yojimbo Chimp. It was it was brutal. I mean, sake did not help me at all. The trouble was, is I bought three bottles last time, and by the time we were done with an hour-long podcast, I had finished all three. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it led to quick drinking, where uh, whiskey at least has that burn. It says, slow down, sir. Slow down just a little bit. It is very easy to drink, isn't it? I mean, it is. It if, is. If, you can, if, you, if, it, if it can make Ireland good, it can make anything good, you know? There you go. Do you ever drink Irish whiskey? I, I drink all kinds of whiskey. Yeah, yeah, I do. On occasion, it, it has it has a different taste that I don't like. Mm-hmm. It doesn't please my palate, but it's not like bourbon. Know, yeah, it's not like bourbon or scotch. It's it's got that feel. All right. Well, this is an interesting Zadoichi. Let's get just jump right into it. I'll start just by saying um, the opening sequence with the the snow and the cold and the odd running and and first kill of Zadoichi. It was a very strange opening um, to have him sit there, be completely soaked and reminisce about uh, springtime, bringing him back to his village. I thought that was really cool um, as a place to start. Yeah, I mean, I want to say that I'm I'm pretty new to the world of Zadoichi. Um, I, I had watched the uh, Takashi Kitano film years ago and rewatched it recently. Um, but and because we were going to do this, I also watched the tale of Zatoichi just because I wanted to start at the at the start rather awesome. than just jump right in at number twenty. Um, I, I like the opening very much. Um, I, I don't know whether you'll 
you know, this, this will be something that we'll talk about. But I, I found the opening actually a, a little like um, Yojimbo with the sort of close up of, of him of him walking um, with the, the credits rolling, you know, um, behind him. But before that, obviously, you, you get this um, violent opening scene. Um, and I guess I like the sense of continuity that you felt that um, he, he'd had other adventures, you know, that he's got a lot of miles on the clock. Um, and I, I liked the fact that, you know, he his sword is broken during this exchange and he is almost like a broken man himself and he just wants it all to end and so he decides to go back to... Um, his, I think, I think it's meant to be his home village. Yeah, and then he they're getting soaked, and uh, it's a very, it's just a very dramatic opening. I, I liked it very much. Well, one interesting thing, since you brought this up before, I jump over to uh, Mr. Van Cleef, is um, because you jumped from one to twenty. One interesting element is that in the first uh, tale of Zadoichi, he's bald, which is the appropriate haircut for a masseuse or somebody at that um, you know low rank. Um, in this one, he's back to that again. And from what I read, it had to do with him taking a small break. He acted in a bunch of other movies. So um, at this point, you know, he came back. He didn't have the same typical Zadoichi hair that he has, like, let's say, on number 19. Um, I just thought that was interesting that he was back to being bald again um, and, you know, playing it up that way. Okay, I would never have known that because I've, I've just jumped from 1 to 20. Exactly. Thousand. But that's one thing that you'll get from 1 to 20. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a Zadoichi proclivity to set the tone of the movie in the opening sequence. And uh, I thought this one was distinct because it was a very morose and dreary opening and, and and somewhat nuanced for the Zadoichi openings that I've seen so far. And it kind of foretold the film that we were going to see. Uh, the uh, the saddest thing for me was seeing his blade broken. I mean, I'm I'm not gonna lie. I'm a Zadoichi Homer. So when I saw that blade break, I, when he pulls it out that that second time, uh, a little piece of me broke with it. You know, I was like, oh no, that was terrible. He dropped, and, he opened it, and it just fell out. It's like, oh fuck. And and I love the fact that he says I I've got like the thing about Zadoichi is the dialogue is really good. Every movie always has lines that you'll that'll stick with you. And uh, I love right away. He's like I've got blood on my hands again, you know. And then we go into that like longing to return home, and you know eventually Paradise Lost. And I I just I I thought that opening that opening sequence was brilliant, but. I was kind of like it was hard for me to finish the movie. I I, I tried a couple times initially um, to watch it uh, a few like probably about uh, six weeks ago, and I didn't finish it because it was it was just such a different tone from the other Zadoichis. It was hard for me to get through it because it's it's hard to see Zadoichi portrayed as he was portrayed in this movie. Not to mention this one clocked in at two hours versus the yeah. standard less than ninety minute uh, yeah. Zadoichi. So, you know, they were really going all out here. They're like, all right, we've got Toshiro Mifune. He's friends with Shintaro Katsu. We're going to put them together for, you know, they'd actually, it was a really interesting thing that happened. Um, Shintaro Katsu developed his own um, studio, you know, his own um, film company. And so did Toshiro Mifune about the same time. So they struck like this gentleman's agreement that they would each be in one another's film, like a film of that studio to help kind of promote their, their new brands. And um, the the Toshiro Mifune one was um, what's called uh, uh, sh- oh yeah um, incident at Blood Pass, 
Um, and so you can actually go watch that one. It has um, Toshiro Mifune and Shintaro Katsu in it as well. And Katsu, of course, said, well, if I'm going to have him being something of mine, it's going to be a Zadoichi movie. So here we yeah, go. Yeah, and I, I kind of got the impression it was like Batman versus Superman, you know, yeah. of its time, you know. Yeah, and yet, yet I'm sure I'm, I may be jumping ahead, but um, even though they, they play it up right, this Yojimbo character, um, this bodyguard, it's definitely not the same guy from Yojimbo and Sanjuro. Yeah. That yeah. guy was a freaking badass, and this guy was just kind of weak and cool as hell. I mean, there's no doubting. I mean, the swagger, we've talked about it before, Toshiro Mifune is a cool motherfucker, but he was a pretty weak bastard you know let's just say opening sequence with him in this just a a drunk reckless loser although all i have to say is (laughs) i've really got on my nerves after a while i'll be honest i think on the third watch i couldn't i couldn't handle that anymore (laughs) with him him mocking the guy or the guy actually saying it both both Yeah, he's, like, the... sensei! And he's like, Sensei! And he's like, Sensei! It was quite I get it. it was I get it. Yeah. I get it. Cut that. Cut. Yeah. But also, he'd, cra- he'd have to crawl over to him when he said it, didn't he? He's never, yeah. like, standing up. He's always on all fours, crawling towards him. Yeah. Poor bastard. Yeah. Poor bastard. <laughs> he had lost I, his mind. Yeah. I, I found it a bit strange, actually, because uh, obviously I've, I've watched Yojimbo many, many times, and I was sort of aware that it's not actually meant to be the same character. But at the same time, there are trappings of the character, like there are nods to the character, like he's wearing the, the same, you know, the same outfit. Yes. Uh, you know, so it's it, it's a little strange. Um, and I was thinking to myself, no, it, it's not the same man. And, you know, um, Yojimbo in, in or Sanjuro in Yojimbo is not all bad. You know, he is there for the money and he, you know, he's pretty ruthless. But ultimately, he does have some good in him. And, you know, he's got an aim beyond just getting money, which is to sort of cleanse this place of all the bad people. But but Mifuna in this, he's just a bastard. He's just a really horrible guy. Um, but, but I, you know, at the same time, you know, he, he is a badass as well. I mean, he, you know, he, towards the end, he's hacking people up left, right and center, and he's kind of unstoppable. Um, and the thing I liked about it as well is that, you know, although he is this really bad guy, that Zatoichi's presence sort of, awakens his conscience to a, to a certain extent um, like he starts saying things like you know I'm haunted by the moose and all that sort of stuff and it's like Zatoichi is reminding him of what it's like to be a human being um, so you know I, 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 I quite liked all that stuff I thought it was interesting um, that the haunting thing it's like it's, it's all about that um, that hierarchy again and it's like this lowly blind masseuse which i guess were the only kind you know blind people became masseuse uh, massage therapists of japan (laughs) but um yeah that he thought that this poor blind guy was gonna haunt him if he killed him you know he wanted the money but then he was also like right away he's just like nah shit you know he'll haunt me um the other other thing i was gonna point out to your point steven um sanjuro had no real name right like he he looked out and his name was whatever that field was like he he was a drifter, completely just whatever. I'm no name, no identity. I'm just here in town to stir shit up and troll you guys. Where this guy, you know, he had the whole spy agreement and he was, you know, looking for the gold. He, he had all these other levels of he's kind of a shithead and not just at the right place at the right time to take advantage of people. Yeah. 
I mean, that's another interesting one, though, isn't it? Because, you know, we don't actually know anything at all, really, about Sanduro. So there was a part of me which was like, you know, there is a possibility that, you know, kind of 10 years of just, if you take it that it's Sanduro, though, though I accept that it isn't. But if you, if you were to think that way, it is possible that this person of wandering from place to place, drinking sake, could eventually just go sat more and more sour and end up where this guy ends up. Except that, of course, he's got the whole backstory of being a spy and all of that, and you, you can't really, you can't factor that in. So it's just a different character. I, I might be a little heretical, but I like this portrayal of Jim. Hmm. It was my it was my favorite. I mean, like I like the like the fact that when you look at Zadoichi, he doesn't have a lot, but he has like this peace about him and like this certitude that's like as unyielding as the ground we stand upon. And yet, at the same time, uh, Jim in this movie is. He, he's got everything. He's got talent. He's handsome. He's got, uh, you know, a lady friend that he can, you know, that he can take advantage of. He's He's got a steady source of income, and he's always drunk. And he, and, 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 and like, for instance, my point is, is that he just has no peace in his, in his spirit, so to speak. And, like, for instance, when Ichi is in the, is in the, um, uh, is in the casino uh, gambling. He he he's he's told by the boss to do blah blah blah, and he could murder every one of those guys right there, but he goes along with it. He's affable, he's kind, and he just plays dumb. Whereas like no one ever once raises their voice to Jim, because Jim will cut you down, because Jim doesn't have the same certitude in who he is. He is he has no peace. That's why he's a drunk. That's why when they're drinking, Zadoichi's like, I didn't know you were a crybaby drunk. Because Jim goes to a dark place because Jim has nothing to fulfill him in his heart. And Ichi, who has nothing, is fulfilled in who he is, no matter where he is. Yeah. And quite disappointed in this case to try to find this little bit of solitude. Very funny, as he's walking into the village, he, it's, it's all coming back, right? The smell of, of the flowers and the sound of the river and the warmth on his face. And he walks right past that dead body that's down in the water. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, so you said it, Paradise Lost. He, he gets in there. Everybody's hiding. Um, just just pathetic. He, he can never get exactly what he wants. This portrayal was very strange. And I'm, I guess it's just the way it was. Shotaro Katsu, I mean, he was obviously in charge of what happened. So you can't blame it 100% on the director. But I felt like that this director didn't get it. Like, he didn't watch the other 20 films, so he didn't quite... It, it, it didn't have the Columbo element that they usually yeah. do. It did to a level, but really, he had to show off the flashing sword too many times. You know, he cut the, the gold in half, and he cut the persimmons in half, and he had to keep doing that same trick over and over again. Uh, and he, there's even a point in this where he has to explain, oh, I'm blind, and my senses are better, and stuff. It's like, okay... We're at number twenty. Like if you, if people watching Zadoichi to this point haven't, haven't gotten this, this like he's got these heightened senses and that's why he's super awesome at killing people and hearing what's going on. But yeah, it was kind of like a. It, it could have been the other number one. I mean, he's bald again, just like he was in the first number one. He's overly explaining his problem. He's got a weird cane sword. I wouldn't even call that a cane sword. I'd call it a huge log sword, which was very effective, but very strange for him too. Gus, what would you say makes? What would you say is the most pronounced part about this movie in the catalog since you've seen it all? 
Well, it's the first time you actually have, uh, I wouldn't say the first time. This is the first time for maybe Americans that you get really big egos working together. So the director of this um, is Kehachi uh, Okamoto, and you'll know one of his movies, Lee, uh, Sword of Doom. Oh, yeah. Of yeah. Dude, so looks he, like, dude looks like a lady. Yeah, he was big. He also did Samurai Assassin. He did this one, other really great one called Kill! Exclamation point. Um, he'd done a bunch of stuff, and all of that was prior to this. So this was his opportunity to come in. You know, he was making... It all sounds good, right? It's going to be epic. We've got this great director. We've got Zadoichi. We've got Yojimbo. We're going to make it all go. And it... I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It was just the strangest one of them all. Um, there are some that get really dark. There are some that are battling throughout the whole thing. There's usually a very sentimental element to like he had with the girl in this one. But this one was kind of strange in that like Zadoichi doesn't murder a lot of people who are coming after him. In fact, he's put in a bad position. He hits himself in the head with a rock and knocks himself out. It's, it's sort of pathetic on some levels. Yeah, I mean, I, the thing you, you were saying earlier on, though, about the fact that, you know, they're almost reintroducing certain elements, like explaining, you know, his his powers, if you want to call them that. And, of course, I've, the only other one I've seen is the first one, and they do exactly the same thing. And I, I think, you know, that's pretty obviously, if, if they were trying to introduce it to a wider international audience, that's probably why they did that. 100%, um, right. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, for, for me, you see, I, I don't have this experience of having watched you know, 19 others. I've seen, I've seen one other. So I can't kind of say that, you know, it's not like these other ones, therefore it's not, it's not good because I have no real expectations. Um, and so actually coming into it, um, as a, as a near Zatoichi virgin, um, if you will, I, I actually enjoyed it. I think it, you know, it has a, a grandiose, uh, plot that's perhaps a little too convoluted, but, Mm. You know, and it took me a while. I mean, it took, probably took me three watches to actually completely understand. Exactly. But but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, yeah. W- without trying to be, you know, a bit too high flown, it, it even made me think of Shakespeare in the sense that it's this really, really big, really grandiose plot. And there are elements of, you know, co- high level corruption um, going on in the plot you know, all of the characters, they have these really murky, kind of really ambiguous motives that aren't really revealed until you get to the end. And even then, you're not really sure, you know, who's standing, who's standing where. And I think it's astonishingly well photographed. And I, and I was thinking about how great the photography was. So I, you know, as you do, I googled the cinematographer, and it's a guy called Katsuo Miyagawa. I've got this written down, so I'm just going to try and say it. Uh, Miyagawa who was also the cinematographer on Yojimbo and, and Rashomon. Um, so that's, that's why it's, it's, a, it's a fantastically good-looking film. Um, and, you know, there are certain scenes in there which I thought were just really well photographed. Like, I'm jumping miles ahead now, but, but the introduction of the guy whose sort of nickname is Nine-Headed Dragon, mm-hmm. um, he, he appears with that, that sort of Japanese umbrella. And then you see him kill, kill a whole load of guys holding this umbrella and then Yojimbo kind of looks at him and he's holding the umbrella and it's kind of torn and there's blood dripping off it. I mean, moments like that, they're really cinematic and really impressive. So, you know, I, I, I know what you mean about the Columbo thing and, I, and that, that's, that's fun. And I, I thought there was a lot of broad comedy in this. But, but as, a, as a newbie coming to this, I was actually quite impressed, albeit a little bit confused the first two times I watched it. 
Um, but but I actually quite liked it. I'll be honest. Yeah. Oh, I'd say I liked it too. Um, and I've I've actually seen it before. I watched it again just for this, and it was a completely different movie this time because in the meantime I've watched a lot of different ones. Certain yeah. you said it is very much like a play. Um, Lee said this right in the beginning. The dialogue, like from the opening um, pronouncements of you know what he wants with his life and how bad it's gone and all of this stuff. Um, it, it the plot elements like I think they just went too big. Like okay, so this guy is skimming gold, right? And yeah. he, he's got this brick of gold, as it's called. Why the hell would he leave it as gold dust and put well, it? Well, here's bag? why. Here's why because um, what happens is is that, and this was one of my favorite parts of the movie, is that the, Yo Jimbo or excuse me, Jim and uh, Ichi are like they're basically economists at some point in the movie. Um, and, um, one of the things is that usually when Kings went to war, the first thing they do is every coin that came through the treasury, they drill out the center, they would put in a lesser metal and then reseal it to make more coinage. And then they would make laws that would say you couldn't weigh the coinage. And then all the other countries in the world would charge you more prices for your, for your goods and services. And uh, the reason why your modern coinage has those ridges, even though there's no valuable metal in it, is because the first thing that kings and, and thieves would do is shave off the edges of coins. And um, all throughout the movie, we're getting, before the age of inflation and quantitative easing, there was, this th- there was this word that was used for it. It was called counterfeit. And it, really, before the age of newspeak, that's what it really is. Like, you are se- essentially... Uh, you are essentially only gaining value on the new coinage by stealing value from the old coinage. And because you're not actually mining the gold and producing the gold into coins, but you're actually stealing gold from other coins, you're actually just creating what we now call inflation. But this is like an ancient idea called counterfeit. And it was once a, a crime punishable by death. It was actually quite bad because they knew that in ancient days that inflation was horrible for an economy and so uh, the reason why it's all shavings is because they've been shaving off the coins the coins oh, don't no, have no, a, i didn't don't... get that i got based on zadoichi cutting that uh, that one coin in half that he said this is cheaper metal it's it, the guys in charge of, of the gold they were actually minting the coins so they were mixing in something else to make it less that's why he you know he tasted it and he said yeah this isn't as good as you know but if you get dust, you're shaving. You're shaving coins. So, I mean, like, that, that was not an uncommon practice. People would shave coins. Uh, another thing, uh, I mean, you yeah, you can drill out the center and change the nature of the coin. But the most common way to steal from coins was to – that's why even though there's no precious metal in any of the coins we use today because our currencies are so devalued, the, re- the reason why the mints have the edges on there is to prevent you from shaving it. And that was the number one way that people ripped off the monetary system was by shaving it. That's how you get gold dust. I hear you, but I don't feel like that was clear. I mean, if that makes yeah. perfect sense, if that's like historically um, accurate. But in this case, the whole idea that he was tasting it and tasting that it wasn't pure gold made me think that there was some sort of like, you know, hybrid. They were mixing in some other metal or something like that uh, in order to keep the oh, gold. Oh, yeah, Definitely. So then why wouldn't he just take, if, they're, if they have the ability of minting, he should have just, you know, made himself a gold brick, which they talked about enough before we got to, there are actually 20, well, 131 bags of gold dust. Well, you, you have to also think about portability. So, like, for instance, like, if you, like, for instance, why do you pay a higher premium on a 10th ounce coin than a regular ounce coin? 
uh, portability, right? Like, for instance, if uh, for whatever reason you need to hide the coins, a uh, one-ounce coin is much easier to find than a 10-ounce coin, which can be sewn into all sorts of things. So you've got the idea is that, and not only that, you have like um, the idea that if, if it's gold dust rather than one brick, one solid brick, then, you know, you can you can diversify where it's hidden, right? It doesn't have to all be in one spot. So, it, it, I mean, it makes sense that he kept it dust because he's he's not in the clear, right? Like, and the idea that, like, everybody's looking for one kilo or whatever it's going to be, that's going to be heavy as hell. Uh, and you're not, and it's not going to be divisible. Like, another thing is, is that one of the reasons why we developed, like, a bimetallic system is because, like, you know, basically to make small transactions, you have to have minutia measurements of, of like, gold, like, and, and measurements minutia to the gram, so, you know, that's why we developed, like, a bimetallic standard with silver. And um, the, the reason why is cause, because gold is so uh, rare, it mines at about, like, 16 ounces uh, silver for every ounce of gold. So that, that creates, uh, that creates a, a use for silver as, like, for instance, your $1. Uh, sorry, Stephen, we, we're using the dollar standard here. Uh, but the, uh, you know, when, when we had the, when we had like, uh, before the 1930s, we had these dollars that would say redeemable and specie. So you could take a dollar to your bank and get one silver, one ounce coin, uh, from your bank for that dollar. I mean, it was your gold. You, if you took $20 of gold to the, or $20 bill to the bank, you would get one ounce of gold. And, and there were reasons why, which we won't go into because this is the wrong podcast, but. Uh, essentially, it, it. I mean, this this has a lot of historic implications that were actually quite real all throughout the world, not just Japan. I think I think there's another good reason, though, why um, why he was he was, or rather, why the filmmakers chose to have it all as gold dust, is because they probably imagined that the sequence at the end with the great big pile of gold and everything blowing away. Absolutely, yeah, and getting no, in their good. in their teeth, right? Because that was yeah. the, the the moment. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I, that's the other thing. And, you know, maybe I, I liked it a little bit more than you, again, because I, I, I had no expectations really at all. Um, I, I thought that was a, a, a moment of real visual poetry, you know, mm -hmm. that pound of gold and everyone doing sort of Buddhist chants. And then this family with their faces kind of buried in this mountain of gold as it blows away with the dust. I thought that was an, an amazing moment. But very impressed with that. And, of course, you can't have that unless you... So pro probably they they had that scene in their minds and then had to kind of fit it into the story. Well, and yeah. another thing is is that they they say at some point all things begin and end with money, right? Yeah. And uh, it it kind of uh, it kind of encapsulates that, and it kind of contra it kind of it kind of gives us the the Jim, like Jim Jim is like imperfect and he's afflicted and he has no peace, but Jim's very greedy. And you've got Ichi, who they explain later on has no sense of greed, right? And uh, uh, it kind of just juxtaposes that in a, in a sense, a kind of in a moral sense. But I, I thought the arc on Jim was amazing because at some point you kind of get like this idea that he's got this imperfect love, and that if if he can make that imperfect love happen with uh, I don't remember her name, we're going to call her Hotness. If he, if Jim and Hotness can get together, and even though she's been a whore, and even though she's afflicted and ruined, and she's imperfect, he's no angel. 
And if they can both just make it happen, that there's going to be like some sort of like a warped intensity that just kind of outweighs all their trials and tribulations that they've endured. Like it's almost like there's a glory that outweighs everything else. And that it kind of like, like for instance, all their suffering, all their ill decisions were working to cause them to persevere for a moment in time that would exceed and reward them in a way that would make it all on balance. Well, I'll throw out two things. First off, Umeno was her name. Um, her real name is uh, Ayako Wakeo. Um, she's still alive. I looked that up while I was watching it. I'm like, oh, Dude, you know, how so old is Hotness? How Hotness old is, she today? is now like 84 or something like that. And she has done, she's like insane, like a hundred something movies. I mean, the, the, the list is freaking crazy. Uh, starting back in ni- 1952, all the way up until, um, well, gosh, TV movie in 2015. So she's still rocking. Hmm. Good for her. Number two, to Stephen's point, um, that cinematographer, I actually, well, let me just go back. I was curious, uh, after you told me that, I thought that was very impressive, uh, Kazuo Miyagawa, yeah. He uh, did six Zaroichi movies, and he also did um, Lone Wolf and Cub, which is uh, Shintaro Katsu's real-life brother in another samurai series that we were going to get to on this podcast. Not this podcast, but on Cinema Bushido. As well as the follow after Zaroichi, um, I've told you this before, Lee, uh, Shintaro Katsu did another small series called Hanzo the Razor, where, yeah, yeah he, was, <laughs> he was just this this pervert, like, you know, he would torture women with uh, with his penis, and, um, you know, he would beat his penis up to make it, like, extra calloused so he could uh, um, torture people. It was a weird, weird movie. It was kind of getting into the 70s there, so things just had gone from, okay, well, samurais, people were, were sick of them. Let's do something fucked up and weird. But finally, all the way back, 1940, uh, the Miyamoto uh, Musashi, he's like the most famous samurai of all time. There, was a, there were a series of movies done um, in 1940, I think 41 or somewhere around that. Um, it, he, he also did the cinematography for those as well. So, I mean, that's insane. That is like the most accomplished cinematographer or you know, of, of all of Japan, and that's nuts. Yeah, it's a beautiful film. I mean, whatever you think of it, it's a very, very good-looking film. You you can't fault the the, the photography. Oh, I was just going to say the the other, um, I guess, piece of trivia is that um, the director Kihachi Okamoto, uh, if I've said that right, re- remade um, Kurosawa's first film. Well, that was the other thing I I discovered as I was trawling Google, which I thought was quite interesting. Uh, super to Sanchiro. Hmm. Yeah, he has a, a really impressive um, resume as well. And um, I think, yeah, that's why they had, I think that's why this became what it was. I mean, it, it is a very different movie. It's longer. It's more, the, the plot is super grandiose. It's got multiple stars. It's very different from the other 19 films to this point. Zadoichi started like on this really, you saw it, the tale of Zadoichi. It's just so simple. And that's it. He was young and he, he was just kind of chubby-faced and bald and just strange. And it's a great story. The original story of a of a blind, you know, badass swordsman that's also a masseuse and a gambler and a sake addict and <laughs> all this. Yeah. But yeah, it's one of my favorite things that, that just keeps going over and over and over again. And, and each time things change a little. They used something in this one that they've used in a number of other ones. And that's, they make him... Um, 
in the gambling house. They make him <laughs> roll the die. And, yeah. and he will make sure that one die stays out of the cup. So everyone's like, ha-ha. And he knows it's out, right? And and in this particular case, it's never quite happened like this, that somebody at the same time is trying to, like, assassinate him or at least, in, in this case, steal his cane sword or something. But, you know, they're trying to do something to him while this whole thing's going on. And, of course, he will not fall for it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he's just... Uh... You know, there is an element that he's just—he's just playing with people, isn't he? But he's—he's he's, uh, as you were saying in your last Satuichi podcast, he's uh, very, very affable, um, and I guess he's te- teasing out other people's badness, maybe. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a fun part of the character. Yeah, he keeps the smile going until something gets super serious. Like in this yeah. case, he played the bumbling idiot up until the point, and he's like, uh, maybe it was the first time that they were going to fight in the street and the persimmons and. You know, uh, Sasa or Yojimbo gets yeah. dust in his eyes, and you know he gets a lot more serious there. And then to the point that you know he's like, "I want, I want to, I want you to." He, I, I wouldn't even say I was about to say the part where Yojimbo says that we need to be partners. Even then, he's like, "No, I won't be one unless I'm the villain." You know, I don't want to be a mole or a spy or any of this crap. I want to be a villain. Like he's still just playing a stupid game with everybody. Yeah, but I think that I, I mean one of my favorite scenes in the movie is. Uh is where um, uh, Sasa or Yojimbo, whatever you want to call him, and Satoichi and Umenu are sitting in the in the bar. And, uh, like, Umenu is like, I'm really bad now. You know, I'm a whore. I'm really bad. <laughs> yeah. And, and Yojimbo's like, yeah, she's terrible. She uses all these Yakuza's. And then he goes, and I'm bad. I'm, like, the baddest of the bad. I'm terrible. And then <laughs> Satoichi goes, yeah, me, me too. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a crook. And then, and your and your Jimbo goes, well, act like it then. And then he like glogs all the sake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like, that's just such a good scene, and it's really playful. But you know, the thing is, is it you know, Zatoichi isn't bad exactly, but but the, the movie toys with the idea of who's bad and and who's good. And but by the end, um, you know, you've got both Zatoichi and Yojimbo crawling around in the dust looking for gold. So they're not really that different um, by the end. But uh, yeah, that, that's definitely a fun facet of, uh, of Zatu. I'd submit one thing before I give this, because I think he'll agree. Um, I don't think anybody's ever good in these. Like, you, like in this case, yeah. like maybe the old man was good, maybe. But like at the end of this movie, everybody was dead except Umeno, Yojimbo, and Zatoichi. Like uh, the whole town. This is another case where everybody, I thought like if they're really hungry for money at the end of this film... They don't need to walk around looking for gold. Just walk dead guy to dead guy and check their pockets. You're going to end up with, like, a bounty of unbelievable proportions. And the same thing happened with Yojimbo. At the end of that movie, remember, we were like, okay, so everybody's dead except, like, the shopkeeper that gives people sake. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But that's a, that's a common trope, isn't it? Because, I mean, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a very close comparison between these movies and Westerns. I mean, this movie really reminded me of For a Few Dollars More with Clint Eastwood and the other Lee Van Cleef. Um, and that, that's a common trope is that, you know, everyone dies and then the, the anti-hero strolls off into the distance. Um, and it, it, it definitely kept that going. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I, I think um, part of the fun of, a, of an Ichi movie is, is seeing him like he has like this guy has power that's like that's self-actualized he knows how powerful he is he doesn't have to prove anything to anybody at any time 
And one of the things that Ghost kind of reminded me of in the last Ichi podcast was, like, when you see him go from just being affable to being, like, that that razor's edge, that, that face that's very cold, that's murdered, like, 40, 50 people a town. And he, he uses that face a couple of times, but he... He doesn't really give you that hard edge that you normally see, but it, he does give you moments where he's just being—he's just fucking around. Like when the guards are trying to take him to the guard tower to be arrested, he's like, "You guys are gonna cut my head off, right?" And hanging on the gun, and they're like, "Yeah." And he's like, "I'm afraid of heights," you know. It's just like it's like it's like one of these things where the he's he's got like a he's he's so casual about it. He's like Joe Cool at all times, right? He's just so cool about it. He's just. He just, like, Jimbo, you, Jim has, like, the, he's a passionate, intense, conflicted character with, like, some sort of an affliction that causes him to drink himself nearly to death. But Ichi is, like, even though he has nothing going for him, he's not particularly handsome, athletic, uh, he has no money, he has no status, he has nothing going for him, but he's just, like, this cool, calm collected person who is just like even though he could have i mean there are multiple times where he could just wipe out everyone in front of him and he plays along and maybe it's partly because it's good for the story but but it's it's kind of an interesting idea that if you're like if you were like immortal and someone who was like mortal for instance came up to you and gave you orders you'd be like yeah why not i'll, I'll play along let's see what you have to say you know i it, this this will be funny you know, it's almost like he's on another level, and he's just fucking around, and it and it's hilarious. But it, I think the one sin in this movie is that we really wait an hour and forty minutes to see a body count, and that's that's not an Ichi. That's it, not an Ichi thing. Yeah, it's true. I kept waiting and waiting. I'm like, come on, just kill everyone. You know, like even the guards in town. I'm so used to everybody being bad. You know, he has a soft spot for kids and women for for the most part, or or really sad people like. Uh, um, what was the name of the the guy from the, uh, the our last Zadoichi? What did we do? Zadoichi's Revenge. Uh, the, oh yeah, the fox. Yes, thank you, the fox. You know, it's it's he likes idiots. What is it that they say? Like uh, God favors uh, um, children and idiots, or something like that. It's, yeah. it's exactly that. So does Zadoichi. He likes he likes kids and women and and dumb shits. And beyond that, everybody's fair game for murder. Or, you know, whatever. The, the- the, the thing that you know you were saying about he's kind of super casual and he's really collected and but in this he he is that but then in the, in the the prison scene he openly admits that he's scared witless but he's just keeping it together because he because that's how you survive you know like there's the the kid i think his name is yogo is in prison with him and he's like how are you just lying there because the kid's like going to hang himself and and he says yeah i have been up all night terrified thinking i'm going to get beheaded in the morning but you know i need to keep myself together to to get out of this situation and then and then they figure out how to escape so you know i i like that about him that um he he does i mean maybe it's just this movie because i haven't seen the others but there is a vulnerability about him in that he's he is blind and so there are times within the film where he's sort of like falling over you know, Yojimbo kind of tricks him and makes him think that he's hanging from much higher than he is hanging. So although, you know, it's sort of close combat, he's completely deadly. At the same time, he is someone with a disability and and that does affect his life. You know, like when he's made to, to crawl up four floors to see the boss, Ebeshia, 
he can't you watch him sort of fall over again and again and again um so uh, maybe it's just this movie but he is quite human it, um you know he is he is vulnerable um because yeah. because he's blind. i mean it's there i think it's there in this film but then you don't know how much of that's real and how much it's a ruse. You don't know if he's tricking people well, into thinking that he's one. That's more an artifact of this movie from what I've seen. Because in yeah. the other movies, he's he's on point, man. Right, like, like somebody can put something in front of him and like he might trip over it, Like, but he doesn't. He like It's got the spidey sense to everything. Like He always yeah. knows. Yeah. Him. And I felt that the scene where, um, where the weak guy in the prison cell was, or jail cell was uh, asking him that, I felt that that whole thing was kind of facetious. Like, oh no, I'm I'm scared out of my freaking mind. You know, right. like another thing is that like there were moments where like there were scenes that I was like, this is as Adoichi felt, but then a large part of the scenes felt completely alien to the Adoichi formula. And Ghost and I have kind of discussed that this guy made like what twenty six films. He's the Bond of Japan, and there's a formula that he they follow in every movie and this is this is the first time I've seen a movie where they don't really follow it and yeah I understand that there's like other things going on in the background but I think also it was partly be like part of this movie felt like Yojimbo and yeah. like especially with the plot like for instance in an Ichi movie like you hate the bad guy with the, the bad guys within like five minutes because they're a bunch of rapists and assholes and this one they're like they're you know they're they could be working for the Federal Reserve today like like the plot isn't like oh I hate this guy because he ambiguously may be hiding gold right like you don't really hate anyone overtly but you hate everyone in every Ichi movie because they're all assholes and it's it's kind of it's like I understand it's simple it's like it's like a simple thing and I'm an American so that's probably why why it, it serves me so well but the thing is is that it it's 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 the thing the thing is, is that I want to be compelled when I watch a movie and when you watch the other Zatoichi movies like you hate those bad guys and you just want them to die like you have a stopwatch you were waiting for these guys to die the moment that even looks like they're about to die you get a boner and in this one it was kind of like meh you know uh, because they weren't know. that they weren't that bad and, they were embezzling yeah. money yeah <laughs> I mean, really, they, nobody in this was that bad, were they? Like, no. I don't feel like... I mean, the, the last one we watched, they were, like, taking um, a 12-year-old girl and positioning her to become a prostitute. You know, yeah, like, and beating on them and stuff. It was brutal. Yeah, yeah, like, in this case, it was like, oh, he stole some gold. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite nice, isn't he? He's quite, he's quite sympathetic. You know, he's the, the old boss, the, the silk merchant, is quite likable. Yeah. But but the thing the thing is you know I I keep repeating this but I don't have that that sense of expectation or comparison but it actually it made me think of things like Chinatown or the Maltese Falcon like it, it's like a film noir plot it's really complicated um, and you have to watch it more than once to really understand what happens and it's about like la- you know layers of corruption and all that sort of stuff so it's quite interesting but I know what you mean it it, it doesn't like sort of sate your your thirst for sort of bloody entertainment it doesn't. It does definitely doesn't do that at all, um, but you know it's something else, I suppose. But but yeah, I mean, I guess if I if I'd watched you know nineteen other films and I know what I want and I want to have it, then I'm I'm going to be disappointed with this film as well. You know, would you, you ghost? Would you would you say that this was the probably the first film anyone who's new to Zadoichi should watch? Oh no way! 
Um, no, no, I think I think Steven started at the right spot. If you get to see the old original Zadoichi, I think that's the best place to start. Um, yeah. That said, I feel that this one. The my only complaint is what we keep reiterating on is that I think they tried too hard with the plot. Like they, there's too many elements for what we're trying to accomplish here. We've got. I mean, even with the the weird guys that wouldn't fight, even though they were paid their one coin or whatever, and then they end up being lackeys for the you know nine headed dragon, and there's then the the secondary battle scene at the end. I could see all this storyboarded, and you know it's like okay, this is going to be perfect. And then when they put it into actual practice, it was like, wait, what? Like so they were hiding in barrels a minute ago, but now they're actually trained samurai that are going to fight Zadoichi at the end and. I don't know. There were a lot of problems in that way that I I could see what you meant. Like um, you said, why did we have the gold dust so we could have like the final scenes of all of everybody's dreams getting blown away and the gold in the teeth and all this stuff. And that like I could imagine explaining it to somebody if you've ever heard somebody like give their pitch on a plot. Oh, that sounds awesome. This is exactly where we're going to do it. But in this case, it was kind of like, all right, well, how are we going to fit that in? All right. And does this actually make sense? Nobody ever actually probably stopped and said, does it make sense? And somebody said, yes. They just said, no, remember we talked about it? We're going to do this. Like, all 135 statues are going to have to rip the heads off of them and get a bag of gold out of them and put the gold into the middle of the area. And we're going to get these 10 guys to do it. And it's not going to be that big of a pile. (laughs) And then the wind's going to come. And for some reason, even after all of the talk we've done about how it's spring and you could smell the the warmth in the air and everything, it's going to start snowing. And... (laughs) We'll just go also, from there. Well, why why don't the lackeys run off with the gold? Right. Why, why are they willing to put it in that pile? Why aren't they running off with it? I mean, that's there, there are all kinds of funny little inconsistencies like that in the plot, but I think that one's pretty glaring. That they're quite happy and gleeful to create this big pile of, inc- in, you know, massive wealth that's just going to blow away in the wind. Um, why why are they not shoving it in their pockets and running away? If one of them had any guile, they would have just taken the one bag out of one of the 135 statues, shoved it in their you know, jacket and just ran the hell out of there. Yeah. Live big yeah. in Tokyo. But the other thing, you know, you're saying it, I mean, actually, it, it took me the th- it took me three watches before I genuinely understood the film. And, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to lie, I had to really concentrate on what was happening. Yeah. And, and, um, I mean, the subtitling does affect that. Probably if yeah. I was Japanese, I would keep up with it more easily. But there, there are bits where, you know, like, you know, there's Jimbo facing off against Satoichi. It happens a few times. You know, they have, like, verbal exchanges and they're sort of threatening each other. And then, you know, some some of... I think it's... Let me try and get this right now. Some of Masagoro's men mm-hmm. attack Zatoichi. Zatoichi kills them all. And then and then some of Ebeshia's men then all of a sudden appear immediately afterwards and attack Yajimbo, and then he kills them all. And it's a bit... It's really clunky that, you know, one group appear... You know, the two men are talking to each other, and then that man's enemies attack that man, and then he kills them, and then the other man's enemies attack him, and then he kills them. Yeah, there's you know, a point it's... where a group just came and started ripping up a place, and I couldn't figure out why. I'm like, okay, I yeah. know it's it's the son that was, like, abandoned, and it's his guys, and... They're looking know. for the gold bar. Well, no, there, there was just fighting to fight. Like, remember they went into that bathhouse and just started, yeah. <laughs> started hacking at people? It was like... Well, that's yeah. not looking for... It's like just trying to start a fight, but it doesn't make any logical sense. Like, Fuck your bathhouse. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I kept... I, I should probably should admit this on a, on, a, on a movie podcast. I did have to pause it and turn to my wife and go, what, what happened? <laughs> 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 I should explain it. But 
I what the third time round, I think I, I think I got it. I felt like I understood it. But yes. It should be hard. Do either of you do either of you know where Zadowichi got his log sword? No. Right. He broke his cane sword, well, and suddenly... We assume it's the blacksmith, because he said, make me another one. I know, but oh. he also said, fix mine, and he left it there next to him. The guy was, like, too busy. Oh, yeah, but you see, late, later on in the film, but the kid, Yogo, who is, um, you know, the guy who he was in prison with, right. decides he wants to be Venu's guard, and he has Zatoichi's broken sword, and pulls it out and waves it around and says, I'm going to be just like you. Yeah, Zadowichi chops it even further in, into yeah, pieces. He, yeah, he, he cuts it again. Yeah, it made no so, sense to me where that came from. I'm like, because like, we started the film just like Lee. Oh, shit. Like, my heart's broken. His cane sword's gone. This is going to be, like, a really sad... Until he gets his cane sword back, he doesn't have his superpowers, more or less. But then mm-hmm. they just sort of squashed that plot element, and they gave him the log sword. Yeah. And I, I, I assume you're right. It was the blacksmith, and that was just that simple. But... I was. I didn't see it. I, I think. I think it was the blacksmith because I, I think he's. He does ask him to make him another sword, um, but it's not. It's one of those things where it would have been a very easy insert of about thirty seconds to show the blacksmith giving him the sword. Yeah, like I'm going yeah. to put it in a log this time, and then he gives him. Yeah, the and and versus like all the stuff that they didn't cut, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, there's a lot of stuff that could have been on the cutting floor on this movie, yeah. and it's just. Like, yeah, but you didn't include the fact that, you know, Cripple Boy gets a new sword. Okay, I want this. Lee, give me your favorite scene. Uh, This is classic. When the son misses, uh, uh, what's his face, and he cuts his own dad, and his dad falls down to the ground, you should use your GIF maker for this. Like, there's a split second where he falls down to the ground, and he looks up, and it's like, what the fuck? (laughs) It literally is like, he's literally emoting in English with his hands in his mouth, what the fuck? And he falls to the ground, and I was like, the whole time I was thinking, I, I played that back, and I was like, what the fuck? He's saying what the fuck? <laughs> and you should just fucking put a WTF on the bottom of that, because it's, like, that stole everything from me. At that point, I was like, this movie is without blame. What the fuck? Awesome. All right, Steven, favorite scene? I want to, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to pick that scene, but I want to comment on that because it, it, it really made me laugh, that scene, and which it shouldn't have done. But the, it's so over, overly dramatic. Um, and he gets, he gets hacked and then he's like staggering around. And then he trips, as he goes outside, he trips over a dead body. And then he gets up and then he falls over a barrel and then gets up again. <laughs> and it, it, it reminded me of the beginning of The Naked Gun with the, you know, like North oh, yeah. And he gets his like foot caught in a bear trap and gets shot and then gets a gun. <laughs> And I just I couldn't stop thinking about that. Um, but uh, aside from that, um, I've I mentioned it already. It's probably the scene where they all both about being bad. That was and good. That was, it. Just was it was just funny. Him guzzling straight out of the sake bottle. I laughed out loud. Yeah, that was a Lee Van Cleef moment for him. I'm proud of it. It was. All right. Well, I'll uh, elect mine. Um, mine's a strange one. It just struck me as so funny. Um, it's when the uh, chief of police or whatever. He's having breakfast, and Zadoichi comes in, and he smells, and he knows exactly what he's eating, and he sits down, and, you know, he insists on eating the breakfast, too. 
So, you know, the guy thinks he's really clever and he licks his chopsticks and hands them to him and he breaks the tips of them off so he can continue <laughs> to use them and then eats all of that guy's food. I just thought that was so funny. That was awesome. It again made no sense. Like, that was one of those throwaway scenes. It's like, it made me hungry for that smoked fish and the rice and the soup. I was like, damn, that sounds awesome. But also it was just like, what the hell is going on? You know, like we have a two hour movie and we're really going to spend all this time. Like I felt bad for the chief of police guy. I mean, it's all he's just trying to do his job for the most yeah. of the freaking movie. And Zadoichi was making it very hard on him to just be a normal guy. Like, yeah. Anyway, I like the breakfast stealing scene. He, he moved into the prison with him. I mean, that's not, that's, that's not good behavior. Yeah, it was a total douchebag move on Zadowicz's part. It was, it was. Yeah. Um, the one, the one thing we haven't talked about though is the is the face off between the two men. Um, I, I don't know where people stand on you know who who won or whether it's a draw. I thought it was disappointing. I'll throw out. I I told you guys this um, during Yojimbo. I hate samurai movies that introduce a gun. They just annoys the yeah. shit out of me. It's such a trump card. Because before you bring the gun in, everybody's on a level playing field, and we've got, you know, we've got hundreds of years of ancient culture, and we're we're doing what it comes natural to do. You know, I was reading about um, like law during the um, the Edo period. Um, like, if you stole from somebody or if you fought in the street, most of those things were um, were would give you the instant death penalty. They would. Come- <laughs> Here we go again. For a drink. What happened? I think. I think. For uh, one of my effects. I, I think, it's, it's empty, but. I know. think Lee had a heart attack and collapsed. <laughs> it happens. No, you know I'm what not- I'm saying. Um, like we've got all this history. Uh, what I was talking about with the the laws. Yeah. So there, there was there there was very little crime in ancient Japan because most people knew if you fucked up even a little bit, you were going to get killed. They were going to come, and they would they would pronounce the sentence on you right then and there. No, no talk back, no nothing. They would just go ahead and chop your head off, and that's move on with life. So, you bring guns into it. It's this whole new period, and you said it earlier, Stephen. It's about how these are a lot like westerns. So, yeah, you bring a gun into it, and it's it's not the same ball game anymore. Yeah, but two things. Jim is two and zero oh against gunpowder. He Thank is. you. And also, it, the thing that I learned in my service was, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, man. True. The trick is not to die for your country. It's to make somebody else die for theirs. Listen, I'm not saying that it's not, like, the better solution. I'm saying it takes me out of the element of the original, like, are we watching a samurai movie where people are better swordsmen? Or are we introducing the guy? Yeah. I mean, it's, it was the same problem with the crossbow. When the crossbow came in, if they found you, when they got when they broke through the... Uh, the uh, the siege and they found you with a crossbow. They fucking they took no mercy on you because right. two OP. crossbow made you. Yeah, exactly. It made you OP. So OP for the for the non video gaming community means overpowered. So I interrupted. Um, I, go ahead and finish that, Lee. You said you were disappointed, and I just had to throw in the gun thing before I, you know, lost my control of myself. Um, the final battle. I, what did you? Do? Oh yeah, I was just. I thought it was. I thought it was. I, I thought it was anticlimactic. You know, I mean, I, I and personally, I mean, I even though I like the character of Jim as he's portrayed now in this movie better than Ichi in this movie, I was totally rooting for Ichi to just whoop his ass 
as is as is the custom. And unfortunately, it was kind of it was almost like a half-assed draw, and it was just. I mean, I understand that they have two like there are two character properties that have to be respected, but and it was at the same time it was like so. I mean, it was like a premature ejaculation, and it was, and it wasn't even good. It was like, have you ever seen that that like gif of that guy who's on top of that girl, and he's like he's going to town, and it's like a few seconds in, and he's done, and she looks at him like, is that it? it that's how, it was like, is that it? Is that really it? I, story this... of my story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stephen. Um, you know, I want to go back to the gun thing. Actually, um, I, I I sort of mentioned this at the beginning, and we haven't talked about it. But and and you've enlightened me actually. Your your insights about you know the the fact that this was a bigger movie and that they were aiming at a bigger audience. Um, it, it, it's changed the way I've thought about it actually. But um, I I feel like to an extent they they tried to nod towards Yojimbo a few you know the the Kurosawa movie Yojimbo a few times in this. So you have a silk merchant, and there's a silk merchant in Yojimbo. I felt like the opening of the movie is, you know, the the, the credit sequence is a bit like Yojimbo. Um, there there are a few other things in there as well, um, which don't immediately spring to mind. But but the gun um, as well, you know, there's a character with a gun who identifies himself with the gun because he's his gun is called Nine Headed Dragon, and he's calling himself now Nine Headed Dragon. So I, I wonder whether you know we've got. You know, we've got now um, Zatoichi meets Yojimbo and let's make a few, you know, slightly heavy Yojimbo references. So I wonder, I wonder whether, whether that was part of Dude, it. That is super yeah, that's perceptive. precisely it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, there's never a moment where I think this is a new movie. I think they've cut Zatoichi, they've cut Jimbo, Jim, yeah. you know, Jimbo, Jim, and they just they don't even really meld it all together. It just like it feels like two different movies being sequenced in and it never feels like one or the other and it never feels satisfying like a batman superman which was not that great of a movie but at least we got like the idea of batman versus superman at some point right and yeah. it just never felt like that way it just it just felt like they were too busy protecting their character properties yep. that they owned okay yeah. so so incident at blood pass it's also um yojimbo in there again it's the same kind of character, just a little bit different. And in both cases, both movies out just about the same time, Kurosawa was pissed. He was livid. He was like, you guys can't do that. But of course they could because they're not actually, I mean, Yojimbo just means bodyguard. And, you know, you got a, a sleazy looking, you know, suave, sleazy samurai. So there's not much he could do, but you said it. Uh, I think that was a real, like, in his face, we're ripping you off, Kurosawa, and there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it. Yeah. Yeah. Jim's so handsome, you can't yeah. touch him. I thought he looked. I thought it was quite shocking for me actually watching the film because I, I'm only familiar with Mafuna from like maybe sort of Stray Dog, Rashomon, blah blah blah, through through to Yojimbo. So actually seeing him as a sort of forty something with big eye bags and things like that, I, I I thought my Jesus Christ, he's he's really old now, but but he's not that old. And so I, it, you know, that was why I was saying earlier, it's like. You know, I can almost believe that it's the same person who's just like drunk himself, mm-hmm. you know, into you know, to right to the edge, and Every, who's gone gone to a really bad place. Um, yeah. yeah. Every undertaking we take, we take at our own expense. Mm, that's good. I like that. Oh, great God! I was trying to find it just now because you brought that. You, you, oh, you brought up how old he was. 
1971, which isn't far from when this came out, he was in a movie with Charles Bronson. It was an American film called Red, Red Sun. And the idea was, is um, some bad guys come and they stop this train that has these Japanese, you know, ambassadors on it. And they steal this, like, golden katana. So Charles Bronson has to um, team up with Toshiro Mifune to go find the bad guys that stole the sword and get it back. Of course. It was completely ridiculous. Yeah. Charles Bronson was never in a serious movie, no matter how awesome he was. (laughs) Yeah. I wanted, I wanted to weigh in on the on the, the, the final sort of confrontation between the two characters. Please. Of course, of course. It, it, it felt, I mean, the first time I watched, see, I, I watched two different versions of the film because uh, I, I watched a really terrible copy that had really bad subtitling and the, the ending seems totally tacked on. Like, there's no reason for them to fight each other. The story's over. But then when I watched the Criterion version and it was much clearer... I think that um, Yojimbo is just, you know, he just probably, he's pissed off at um, Zatoichi for, we haven't really, like, clarified the plot, but he, basically Zatoichi has taken a whole load of money from the, the, the silk merchant, and that money was meant to go to um, Yojimbo, but instead he gave it to Umena, saying that it was meant to come from Yojimbo. Uh, yeah, the plot is pretty confusing. Um, so, so I think that you know Yajimbo's really angry about that, and also he just he, the bottom line is, and this is where he was right at the beginning of the movie. He just sees Zatoichi as money, like he just says, you know, like the beginning, this is Zatoichi. He's worth a hundred a hundred ryu. That's all he is to me. He's a hundred ryu sitting right next to me, and so he's gone through all the plot, and he has ended up with nothing. And Umenu, he thinks he's going to die. And so all he's got left is Zatoichi, um, who we can kill and get some money. So he says, now it's time. Now it's time we're going to fight. And they did kind of cop out, but I don't think they couldn't. I, I think, it, you know, what? I'm just thinking of this. It's a bit like the ending of Heat. You know, you've got Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there is, no, there is no way of winning this. There has to be a cop out. Um, there always was. De Niro yeah. dies. Yeah. Pacino yeah. wins. Yeah. But at least I guess at least they made that decision. But but with this, it's like, you know, I think Yajimbo wins, but they make a point earlier on in the movie where they first face off and, and the dust starts to blow in Yajimbo's eyes. And you know that if you know, if Yajimbo had his eyes closed, exactly which he would tear him to pieces. But as as it stands, Yajimbo is a great samurai, even though he's a drunk. And they're not on a level playing field and in those conditions he's going to win but you know so you know Yajimbo has him at his mercy but at the same time the only actual strike that's made is by Zatuichi because he get he knifes him in the leg or you know gets his sword right. in his legs it's kind of like a it's you, you know it's kind of left open you don't you know Zatu, uh, Yajimbo probably would have killed him but but Zatuichi is the only one who actually made a, a strike so it is kind of a cop-out, actually. You just explained something to me that I couldn't quite um, figure out why it had happened. Um, the only copy I have of this anymore is the Criterion release. But when I first watched this, I had it as a, an old bootleg. Um, I had gotten, you know, a VHS tape. Um, and I remembered it very differently than this. I remembered the battle at the end um, being very different. And that that's exactly why. This is like the remastered 
this is the way it should have been versus, um, you know, I probably had something hacked together from television or something like that. You know, those older copies were just terrible. I, I remembered it very differently. And watching it this time, it was kind of like a whole new new watch. I mean, I, there were points where I'm like, have I actually seen this before? I double-checked my, like, I have, you know, notes from, I've watched Zadawichi. I'm like, yeah, I've seen it, but, God, I don't remember it like this. But, yeah, there it is. All right, well, you guys ready for a top six? Lee, did you want to interject anything else? Uh, uh, no, uh, I'm good. I, I That sums it up, man. All right, top six. Um, who wants to go uh, first? Who wants to be number I one? I don't go first, you know that. First is the worst, second is the best. Come okay. On. I feel like I, I always go first, man. I think I yeah, should. No, 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 no. Okay, well, the first question is, what does Ichi mean? Oh, I know that one. I don't. I don't know. You should have. Oh, you should have gone. You know what's funny? As I was trying to be funny, because each just means one. You know, <laughs> each yeah. knee. I was trying to be funny. Um, I would, the whole uh, joke was I knew Lee would say that he didn't want to go first, so I was choosing my first question to be just kind of like a throwaway question that would be hilarious. I, but I wasn't. Was, that's. But that's not the real translation. Let me translate. He's okay. just being a dick. <laughs> that is. That is correct. That is correct. So <laughs> I actually, I should. I should have said like, is, is Zadoichi a man or a woman? <laughs> Okay, you got the first one on to Lee. Lee, um, please explain. No, I'm just kidding. So, number one for real. Um, farmers okay. of the Edo period were forbidden from what? This is multiple choice. So, farmers of the Edo period were forbidden from A, soliciting comfort women, B, eating sushi, C, drinking tea, or D, traveling from city to city. I have no idea. I'm just going to guess D. D. You think it's travel. They were not um, confined C-C. to travel. It is C, drinking tea. Uh, tea, was oh. considered, tea was considered a luxury item, and I guess like all tea of the time was grown on some wow. mountain there, and it was, uh, it was pretty special. So um, if you were a, a farmer, you could live your whole life and never have had the flavor of tea in your mouth. Oh, be a that's bullshit. You know, total BS. <laughs> okay, you number tell two. Tell about English because they would have started a civil war for that shit. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Who was it who dumped all that tea in the, the harbor of, of it was the, Boston uh, or something? Collins, I don't know. I don't even know. It was like, fuck your, fuck <laughs> your tariffs, man. Okay, yeah. number two. This one's for you, Lee. Uh, court ladies used to have attendants that would follow them around whenever they were in public. Was it A, to protect their virginity? B, to pay for their goods? C, to make excuses for them in case they were to fart? Or D, to act as their husbands to keep away oglers? Ooh, I'm going to say either A or D. Let me think about it because um, I'm trying to think of what's his name is. Uh, God, he's like a famous uh, Italian guy who was the court lady's attendant. And he would like follow her around. I'm going to go with D. Okay, so D was act as their husbands to keep away oglers. Uh, that is That's not it. It's one of is the... It a? One of their most important responsibilities was to claim responsibility whenever their ladies farted audibly in yes. front of people. After the noble women broke wind, the attendant would stand up and announce to everyone, Wadakushi Dashita Nanika, with a scowl to discourage anyone from snickering. Like, I did yeah, it. The, I farted. Yeah, <laughs> the thing is, is that we all know you're lying, bitch. <laughs> I need one of those. <laughs> totally. Me too. If I had one of those, I would fart everywhere all the time. Never stop. Instead, I, I always tell my daughter it was the dog that we don't have barking. 
<laughs> saying it's the, the, the invisible thought master who follows me. <laughs> I think my dad um, used to call, say uh, barking spider or something. That's like that. exactly what I was thinking yeah. up with was a barking spider. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or wait, wait, was it my dad said that he had a, a spiders in his asshole? <laughs> I, think like I don't remember. I don't remember. Okay, oh, number three. This one's for Stephen. Uh, average yeah. alcohol by volume for sake. Oh, it's nice. I know this one, I think. Hang on. Average, but, but for what time period? Like, over what period of time? Today. A day? No, today. today. Um, what's the average? Sorry, what is the average? What's the ABV? Yeah, the alcohol by volume for a bottle of sake. Oh, I see what you mean. Um, Don't look at your bottle. That's cheating. <laughs> Is it cheating? Didn't you just say a moment ago with the gun thing? You ain't cheating, Trey. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, seven years. Um, what is that? Well, I, I I may have misunderstood the question, but on the bo- on the back of my bottle it says seven units of alcohol. Oh, see, I that's don't know. Not, that's that's some kind of that doesn't thing. translate. We're not we're not we're not in okay. we're not we're in America town. Well, since, you, mean, you, like, since well, you looked at the bottle, that means you probably have, because they're all approximately the same. That's why I said approximate. So you have the right answer. It's just not the answer I've written down. It would be approximately 14 to 16%. I would have said 14. To, I would have said 15. Because oh, okay. right, right. okay. your alcohol percentage is usually, like the sweeter ones are like 14 and the heavy ones. There you go. So you would have got, you, do, you did get it. What were you saying? Sorry, Stephen. No, it is it is 14% on the back of my book. Okay. I, yeah, I don't know what units... Uh, that's a whole special other thing. Yeah, that's a British thing. Yeah. Oh, how many units of alcohol did you have today, sir? <laughs> I only have one unit to give. <laughs> okay, um, number four. This is for you, Leroy. Um, Thank what, you for that. It's the, this one's a hard question. Um, Good. But yeah, it's, no, it's, I like it hard. I'm going to take, take a bunch of different answers. If you can get can, one answer right. Um, can we do this hard and fast and take a nap afterwards? That'd be romantic. Um, yes. I, wait, wait, maybe no? I, I don't know. What is the former name of Tokyo? Kyoto. No. Okay. So, uh, can you guess? So, can, yes. you, can you guess what Tokyo means based on the geography of where it sits? Dude, there's only one thing I really know in Japan, and that is Domo Arakato, Mr. Arabato. Okay, so the former name of Tokyo was Edo. That's the whole Edo period. Oh, I know that. Edo, okay. yeah. Okay. The only thing is, is that, like, I've been, okay, like for the listener, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the curtain back. I've been drinking. Okay, what were you saying? Oh, what does Edo mean? Do you have any idea? Um, horny. Okay, perfect. So Tokyo meant um, eastern <laughs> eastern <laughs> meant eastern capital, and they called it Tokyo. So after the Edo period, they, yeah, they called it Tokyo. Tokyo was eastern capital. Edo meant like estuary or like harbor bay kind of thing because of where because it's, it's like it's like Tokyo is like if you have Down syndrome or you're from Australia right like <laughs> capital or like the great out the great out the outback yeah because yeah, it's outback or the Great Barrier Reef because it's a Great Barrier Reef like we're not retarded you That's got it a hundred percent disrespectful disrespectful okay <laughs> so you missed that one um, so so far we're one to zip. Um, alcohol per volume, and it's only because he cheated by looking at the bottle. Number five goes Wait, to... She ain't trying to. Yeah. All right, next, this one's for you, Stephen. Why do you think samurai shaved their heads? Oh, I think I know this one. Um, well, it might be the same as the Romans. Hmm. Hmm. Why did they shave their heads? 
because they were afraid of becoming prematurely bald. That, that's a really, you know, that might be a true answer, but it's not the can I answer? It's not can I answer? the answer. Yeah, you can go ahead. When you're in a military, the reason why you shave your hair is because of the head lice issue. Oh, that's a good uh-huh. one too, but no, those are both wrong. The reason why samurai class shaved the top of their heads is for those helmets to fit more easily when they went into battle. Samurai, that's fucked up. Samurai, I'd be without the helmet. I hear you. Samurai battles were typically a series of one-to-one fights, not, you know, multiple people on, and um, they usually cut their opponent's head off as proof of their victory. Samurai would perfume what hair they had with incense to make it more pleasant for their enemies. So, well, what's interesting is is that most old world battles were one-on-one. That's why the Romans, there were two things they did. They, You trained with wooden weapons that were twice the weight of the weapon you were actually issued, and you were taught to never turn your back. And the reason why is because you would fight one-on-one, and once you bested that guy, a whistle would blow, and you would move to the back of the line, and somebody would also move to the front. But that was pretty common. Mm-hmm. Like, you would not, like, it wasn't like the movies where they're just all, like, clashing. No, there was some. There was a sense of order to it. No, he's fighting him. I better go fight somebody else, not just stab his guy, you know. Yeah. All right, the last one is, is for Steven. Steven's already won at this point because... Uh, Actually, I'm, I'm evens, he's odds. Oh, um, he's won, oh you're right. Three. Okay, so no, you, so you have a chance now. All right, a chance to make it a uh, tie. Thank you. Um, listen, listen, let's not lie to the listener. All right, let's be honest. <laughs> this I have is, no chance. This, this one's actually, um, unfortunately, based on all the other ones, you can see how I go. I'm like trying like, really hard to find good trivia questions, and then I'm like at number six, and I'm just like, fuck, man. Yeah. All right, just find something. So this one, um, I would call it easy. Um, you, you, it could be hard. Yeah, it's going to be hard for me. Let's go. Were ninjas also samurai? I'm not going to answer that question. That's insulting. I yeah. already know the answer to that. Well, answer. They're not samurai. They were, they were trained to hunt down samurai. They were trained to kill samurai. They actually were quite successful in that. Wrong. Ninja no. were typically samurai as well. Instead of fighting for their honor, they operated in the utmost secrecy in exchange for money. But they were you. technically samurai. Because samurai just means servant. Yeah, and but the thing is, is that when you see those documentaries on the, on the ninjas, they like... They show them as like being the samurai hunters. I know because what you're talking about isn't samurai because samurai was everything from um, you know accounting guys to people who cooked for you know great lords to the people who actually Mm -hmm. battled. And in particular, you're thinking of the uh, the bushi or the battle. You know the people who would fight, um, which is the whole bushido, the way of the the way of the warrior. So you're thinking of the warriors, which I'm sure many samurai ninja would go kill you know, their opponents that were just regular, not ninjas. But yeah, they were samurai, typically. Ghost, you're a liar. Hey, you know, I don't make this stuff up. (laughs) This is all verifiable (laughs) by your Google. So you enjoy that. I don't Google things. You know that. So so as always, um, we we, we lose I lost. (laughs) I'm just lucky that I have a bottle of sake in front of me. If I hadn't bought the sake with me today, I would have lost. You know who really no, would have you, lost you... at that point? Me. Because that would have been like, I had six questions. Zero. zero. Uh-huh. Yet, no I one's had... ever really lost, right? The only person who's ever really tied me is Mikhail. Yeah. And that was unfortunate. Well, you, yeah. You, no what one kind ever. Of, what kind of questions did I pick for that? That was Deadpool. Were they, that was uh, Deadpool. Were they it was... superhero questions or did listen, I just choose random stuff? Listen, Matthew, Stephen, not everybody Googles everything. You know, some of us like a little mystery, you know? Some of some of us want to wait till we put it in to find out what it feels like. 
You might it's like one of these things, you know. It's like a little, a little bit, a little bit of mystery, you know. She's naked, but she's got something on her ankle that's a little gold chain. It's uh, still something I can't see. You know, I'm, I'm, like, I'm looking at my notes to find Deadpool, and I'm not seeing it here for some reason. I would love to know what kind of questions I asked then. Well, you have to go back and listen to that episode at cinemabushido.com. Or, yes, sir. Or follow us on iTunes at Cinema Bushido. I don't I know. I for top six for um, Satoichi's Revenge, where you just asked each other random questions about, like, geography and things. Exactly. Yeah, I had nothing there, so I'm just like, all right, that's it. Right? Yeah, that was my favorite one. We just traded questions, right? Yeah, that was the one where I was like, what's the greatest sea in the world? He didn't know. And I was like, that's right, because you're a retard. I felt so good. I felt like Ghost for a moment. Yeah. I was like, what? Are you retarded? That's how Ghost feels every day. He's like, what? Are you retarded? Did you know, one of the things I... Because I, I do look... I mean, if I'm interested in something, I, I will Google it. And one of the things I, I, I was really interested to find out is, one, is Shintaro Katsu was like a drunk, and he was quite violent, and he was arrested quite a lot. Yeah. Um, which I found really fascinating. Um, but that he was... he The only time he ever worked with Kurosawa was Kurosawa's uh, movie Kagamusha, which was one of his, was I think made in 1983, but uh, that's off the top of my head, but um, he was sacked on the first day because he brought a film crew with him with the intention of filming Kurosawa work. <laughs> Kurosawa sacked him, so he, did, he wasn't even filmed. He, he, uh, he arrived, he was sacked, um, which I thought was really funny. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I like to tell people that the um you know they couldn't get the American militias to show up right like for for drill, and so what would happen is is that after a while the uh, the American generals started offering like a free like kegs of beer after drill, and they had full attendance. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like one of these things where like. Like, people don't understand, like, like I live in a place where I can smoke, like, I have people who smoke incredibly great marijuana, and they're like, why don't you get high with me? And I'm like, because it's, it's never made a girl any prettier, you know, it doesn't, doesn't speak to me, but, but booze is like, booze has made the world go round. The first food law in the world history was a beer purity law in Germany that's over mm -hmm. a thousand years old. Wow. You know, I mean, I mean, I mean, you could pay your taxes in the Cleopatra era in beer. Beer is important. Out booze is important. Booze, you know? important. booze is important. I that's that's what I think really unifies us. I like it. And it is what drives our podcast. So thank you, Stephen, as always. Uh like I said, you are our um our unofficial um who knows one day you may just uh get bored enough doing your own stuff that you become official and we have you on every single time, but um, we know you're a busy guy, so we really appreciate it when you join us for these awesome podcasts. Um, Lee, always a pleasure. Uh, you uh, always have great uh, insight to these movies. I, I, I appreciate the hell out of it. Thanks a lot, guys. 